It's time. Time for what, you might ask? It's time to optimize your health and upgrade your life. Cutting-edge research, biohacks, ancestral wisdom, wellness, intuition, and more. This is The Synthesis of Wellness. Your host and biohacker Chloe Porter has a background in engineering, innovation, and research. Her analytical background coupled with her journey in overcoming a brain tumor and defeating several chronic illnesses enables her to approach health and wellness in an innovative way. And now more than ever, she is ready to share her biohacking secrets and expose cutting edge research. We are so glad you're here. Welcome to the Synthesis of Wellness podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Synthesis of Wellness podcast. If you're new, welcome. I'm Chloe Porter. I'm an engineer, former lab research scientist, now author. I'm also a model. If you're a returning listener and you like the podcast, definitely head on over to my Instagram at Synthesis of Wellness, where I share health and wellness research almost every day. I often present the information in bite-sized biohacks so that it's easy to read quickly while getting as much value from them as possible. I also share all of my health and wellness routines, things I'm into, things I'm trying out, so it's always interesting to see what I'm trying, so definitely head on over there. Now, before we get into the meat of today's episode, if you are a returning listener and you've been following along for a while, especially over on my socials at Synthesis of Wellness, you know I've been working on a book for quite a long time and after just diving in and compiling all of this amazing research from over 200 scientific research studies, I worked with um, some prestigious doctors and then I reviewed the book of course for my own sake a myriad of times. I was ready to bring it forth for publication on September 15th, 2023. So my book is called 75 Gut Healing Strategies and Biohacks, and it is available and out right now. The easiest way to get a hold of it is probably through Amazon, but you can go through Barnes & Noble, Books a Million, really wherever books are sold. The book was just released, like I said, to the public on September 15th, which was so exciting. It was honestly a great day. I launched my book media tour in Charleston, South Carolina. I flew in that morning, gave an amazing talk to some amazing people, had an awesome Q&A session, and then flew out that evening. Um, it was overall just a great book launch day. Now, this book truly, guys, it could serve as a guide to decreasing food sensitivities, lowering GI inflammation, using biohacks so you can eat some of the foods you love again, combating gut infections or even just dysbiosis, optimizing your digestion overall, and a lot more. So 
I will put the link in the show notes for you to check that out if you're interested, but I hope it can be an amazing resource to anyone who wants to look deeper. Okay, now getting into today's topic. I want to talk about a wellness optimization topic today, and more specifically, I want to talk about chromotherapy, kind of DIYing chromotherapy and go through some of the studies detailing the relevance of different colors of light, like red, yellow, blue, green, infrared, etc. Um, but first and foremost, I honestly think with so many dupes on the market, we need to establish a bit of foundational knowledge around the physics of light, the specs, and all of the different lighting equipment that goes into all of this, because there are so many devices on the market and a lot of them are quite frankly either based off of in interpolations basically or they aren't even strong enough to do a thing. So um, first I want to go over the difference between LEDs and lasers. And the reason I also want to make this distinction first and foremost is because a lot of studies are based off of laser studies and then you'll see an LED company come out and say hey this light therapy device can do this this and this and it's like no it really actually cannot because that study was based on a laser and those are actually different things so let's get into it so LEDs they function based on a phenomenon called electroluminescence within semiconductor materials. And basically what that means is that when an electrical current flows through a semiconductor, it energizes the electrons of the semiconductor, causing them to move to higher energy levels. So as these electrons return to their normal energy states from those higher energy levels, so they're falling back down to like ground state, they release energy in the form of photons, which we perceive as light. And these specific properties of the semiconductor material is what determines the color of light produced. So if you're thinking back to like high school chemistry and you think of an atom, it's got, you know, protons, neutrons in that center and then the electrons around it, those electrons can be elevated to higher energy states and then they can fall back down to their ground state and when they fall back down that's when they release those photons that we perceive as light. So one key characteristic of LEDs now is their omnidirectional light emission which means that they emit divergent light or light in various directions. This is something we're going to want to remember when we're discussing lasers in just a second but going back to LEDs for now this property, of course, it makes LEDs suitable for applications where widespread illumination or non-focused lighting is more essential. Now, another property of LEDs is the fact that they have low coherence. And this is actually one of the main reasons why LEDs produce that divergent light. So what is low coherence? First, let's go over what coherence is. It refers to the degree of synchronization or alignment among light waves. Now, when light waves are coherent, 
They have a consistent phase relationship. All that means is that the peaks and troughs of their waves align precisely. So when you've got a wavelength of light and the peaks and troughs are aligning and all of these different light waves are in alignment like that, that is said to be coherent. Now, however, in the case of LEDs, they exhibit low coherence, and that's because the light waves produced by different parts of the semiconductor are not actually synchronized. So these light waves are not synchronous. Now that means that the peaks and troughs of these waves do not match up perfectly, and in other words, the inconsistent alignment of light waves in LEDs leads to variations in the timing and position of their peaks and troughs. This lack of a consistent phase relationship basically means that the light waves are not all moving together in a coordinated manner. So I basically was just saying the same thing in a lot of different words, but I think you definitely get the point there. Now moving on to lasers really quick before we talk about some of those specs like power and other wavelengths, stuff like that. So and we will, of course, relate all of this back to how the light and all those different specs are used in studies for their therapeutic benefits. So going back to lasers now, one crucial factor in the operation of lasers is the concept of what is called population inversion. So in a laser medium, so think like a gas, a crystal, or even a semiconductor in some cases, a significant number of electrons are initially pumped or excited to higher energy levels. Okay, well that sounds very similar to what we just talked about with the LEDs. But these are kind of pumped up front. It's a population inversion. So this results in an inverted population distribution where there are more electrons in higher energy states than in lower energy states. And that sets the stage for what is called stimulated emission. So, in other words, when a photon with the precise energy to match the energy gap between the excited state and a lower energy state interacts with an excited electron, it triggers stimulated emission. And all that means is that the excited electron does not spontaneously fall back to its ground state like in LEDs. So in LEDs, we have spontaneous emission. In lasers, we have stimulated emission. And what that does is it causes the release of a photon that is in phase coherent with the incoming photon, which in turn will create a chain reaction as more electrons undergo stimulated emission, resulting in a very highly coherent and even amplified beam of light, and we call that a laser. So in other words, to kind of summarize, this process results in a cascade of photons with identical frequency, direction, and phase, creating a coherent and highly focused laser beam. So in summary, the key differences for these lasers lie in the initial population inversion 
and the precise matching of photon energies. And of course, these factors work together to create the highly coherent and amplified output beam of a laser, which distinguishes it very much so from that non-coherent light emission of LEDs. So I do think these concepts are very important when it comes to interpreting the literature and scientific data surrounding light therapy, because for example, say someone or even a company does some research, finds a study, and that study says that a certain wavelength of light has the potential to kill a certain type of bacteria. And then they say that information or they share that information to the public. And to make matters worse, say that that study was conducted using a laser and the individual simply claims that the light at XYZ wavelength killed the bacteria. So like, this is when we get influxes of people and brands buying and selling LED panels that don't hold up to the claims since the research was conducted using lasers, not LEDs. These are kind of different types, for lack of a better term, of light. So that would be one of the exact reasons why there are so many fake chromotherapy devices on the market. And not only that, but companies, influencers, etc., are not explaining that a certain power or power density was used in that study. So yes, we need a certain wavelength of light, and we need to know whether the study used coherent light, like in a laser, or maybe if non-coherent LEDs were used, and maybe if those were sufficient to produce the desired effects. But really guys, we also need to know the power or power density of the light whether it is coming from an LED or a laser. Because we need to know how much energy is basically being delivered therapeutically to the surface that the light is shining on. So, I kind of got a little bit ahead of myself, but let's dive super quickly into what power is. So, in these cases of either lasers or LEDs, radiant power, that term, measures the rate at which a laser, or LED really, emits energy in the form of light. So this is a rate, so it's like energy over time. It's typically quantified in units of watts. So for example, in the case of a laser, the radiant power represents the total energy output of the laser beam per unit time. And basically what we're saying is that this parameter is essential for characterizing the laser's performance and its suitability for various applications and even therapeutic applications. Because some lasers are very high powered and can cause some ablation, they can be used for like engraving actually like materials, metals, like some of these are very powerful. So we have to know these specs whenever we're talking about the actual use. And I think because lasers are relatively newer in the huge grand scheme of things, that we aren't always particular about stating exactly what was done in the study and relating that back to the therapeutic benefit. 
So going back to power density, I got a little bit off track there, but what you'll see in many specs for these devices is what is called power density or irradiance. So basically power density is a measure of the amount of optical power per unit area that it is hitting. So it quantifies how concentrated or spread out that light is on an incident surface. So think on your body. Like if you're using a red light panel and you're sitting six inches away from it, well, that power density is going to be different on your skin than it is right up against the red light panel because there's a distance away from it. So these are things we have to take into consideration. So power density is typically measured in watts per square meter. So that makes sense because we just talked about power being measured in watts as the rate of energy basically being emitted while this is power density. So it's over the area, the surface that the light is hitting. So now in lasers, power density is particularly important because it determines how intense the laser beam is at a specific point. And also guys, this value is often what is used in various red light therapy LED devices and lasers to indicate how powerful that laser or LED device is over a certain area of the human body at a set distance away from the light source or laser tip. So I kind of just talked a little bit about that using that six inch example um, with the red light panel, but this is broad spectrum. It really hits home with LEDs, lasers, whatever. So point being, if you do purchase a red light panel, you want to be looking at the power density or irradiance at various distances from the panel. Since you're often sitting in front of it at least a few inches away, you're not often right up against an LED panel. So truly without this spec, the device is useless. You don't know what you're getting. We talk about dosages with supplements. We talk about, you know, milligrams of calcium, whatever it is. But light is the same thing because it is therapeutic and could even be considered a type of nutrient if you even wanted to go there. Now, also, given that the output power and a few other specs out there, there's like divergence angle, etc. You can calculate power density of a laser at a set distance when you have all that information. But I don't think going through like those calculations and all that physics is necessarily going to be super helpful for this conversation. But I will just say that in talking through this episode, I am feeling like a second episode on lasers, LEDs, and light therapy in general could be extremely beneficial, especially since the breadth of studies on lasers and LEDs, like they're used in dentistry, they're used in cosmetics like skin rejuvenation, hair growth, fat reduction even, increases in things like collagen, increases in certain enzymes, or even just that good old ATP upregulation that we know 
happens as a result of red light LED panels or red light therapy, infrared, etc. A lot of uh, different types of light therapy can actually increase ATP production. But the point is there's a lot of studies out there and a lot of different wavelengths of light and power densities used. So in order to do that topic justice and cover some of those really unique discoveries made that aren't often talked about, we might uh, re go back to this in another episode because uh, we can't, of course, cover each wavelength of either laser or LED light and all of its therapeutic benefits at different power levels and power densities. But we're going to go through some studies today and list out the device specs used in those studies along with the intended treatment and therapeutic outcomes in order to just start laying some groundwork and interest. So, for example, let's just start by talking about some studies with lasers, in particular low-level laser therapy lasers. So you'll see these as LLLT. So for context, low-level laser, LLL, is a special type of laser that effects on biologic systems through non-thermal means, which just means they're not necessarily heating up the tissue. Some of the properties of these low-level lasers are, number one, Power output is between around 0.001 to 0.1 watts. And I will say I've seen some studies exceed this a little bit and still call it low-level laser therapy. And then the second property we're going to cover is that wavelength for LLLT must be within the range of around 300 to 10,600 nanometers, which for reference is mostly composed of the visible spectrum of light as well as infrared light. Then another property is that low level light or low level laser therapy has a pulse rate from zero, meaning that the light is just continuously um, on, continuously shining to a rate of 5,000 hertz, which is essentially just 5,000 cycles per second of light pulsing. And the last main property we're going to talk about with low-level laser therapy is that it has an intensity of 0.01 to around 10 watts per centimeter cube, per centimeter squared, sorry, and a dose of around 0.01 to 100 joules per centimeter squared. So one of those is like the power density and one's like the energy density, for example. So in summary, low-level laser therapy is the application of light to a biologic system to promote tissue regeneration, reduce inflammation, and relieve pain. And unlike other medical laser procedures, though, this does not have a thermal mechanism. It is low-level laser therapy. Instead, it has a photochemical effect which all that means is that the light is absorbed by the bodily tissue and causes a chemical change. Now, as I said earlier, going too deep into the physics will not provide much benefit, but I will illustrate 
several medical studies and detail the exact specs because like I said that is extremely important for therapeutic replications basically. So I will detail the exact specs used in those studies so, so that we can see a correlation between things like wavelength, power, energy dosage, timing, and the therapeutic benefit or treatment opportunity there without extrapolating or interpolating any kind of data. But again, there are a lot more details that could be hashed out. But for the sake of brevity, we're just going to go through a general overview and get those key takeaways in order to be able to see patterns and differences between laser versus LED therapy. Light wavelengths used, power and dosage delivered, and ultimately the benefits received. So the first study, the first thing I want to talk about or study I want to examine is the use of low-level laser therapy for skin rejuvenation. I think this is pretty commonly known, but there are several different studies out there on different types of skin rejuvenation. Maybe they're looking at this type of skin cell, or maybe they're looking at this production of collagen, whatever it is, but we're just going to take a look at one study. I'm going to list all the specs, list what they found, and go from there. So, in one study, they used a diode laser in two 15-minute sessions per week for six weeks at 635 nanometers with 10 milliwatts total power. The faces of the subjects were fixed in a specific spot, and the facial skin conditions were very meticulously photographed, is what they claim, using a 10 megapixel Canon DSLR camera lens. And the wrinkles under both eyes were measured through front view photos, whereas the wrinkles on the eye rims were measured through profile view photos. So they actually measured them. What they found was the results showed that treatment of under eyes showed that wrinkles had significantly decreased on both sides after the low-level laser therapy, and treatment of eye rims showed that wrinkles had significantly de decreased as well. So basically what they said is wrinkles decreased as a result of low-level laser therapy under the eyes and eye rims. Now, the researchers in the study, they attributed this to the fact that low-level laser treatment likely induced collagen upregulation, but it also downregulated matrix metalloproteinase, which is MMPs. So, it can be inferred that the increase in collagen on the epidermis contributed to the improvement of wrinkles. Also, just for context, these MMPs are a family of enzymes that play a crucial role in the breakdown and remodeling of the ECM or extracellular matrix in tissues. And the ECM is a complex network of proteins, including collagen, 
that provides structural support to cells and tissues in the body. So to summarize all of that, these MMPs break down collagen. And so the LLT treatment induced collagen upregulation, but it also downregulated MMPs, which break down collagen. So it was like a win-win in that situation. Now, moving on, because also in this same study, they also wanted to examine moisture levels in the skin with the notion that increasing skin moisture was the goal. So a moisture checker was used to measure the skin moisture levels on the forehead and right cheek before and after these low-level laser treatments. And what they found was that treatment of forehead showed that skin moisture has significantly increased after low-level laser therapy therapy. And treatment of the cheek showed that skin moisture had significantly increased as well. Pretty interesting stuff. So let's move on to another study really quick. So another study looked at the effects of low-level laser treatment on lymphatic flow and lymphedema. And in this study, the irradiated regions were points in the armpit. So the treatment consisted of nine sessions over three weeks conducted three times a week with a follow-up evaluation at three months. During each session, 17 specific armpit points were irradiated using a laser emitting light at a wavelength of 904 nanometers. The energy density used was 1.5 joules per square centimeter and the total time was 17 minutes of laser irradiation with each point treated for one minute at a time. What they found after this study was, and at that three month follow-up, was that there was a 90 milliliter reduction in upper limb volume and an improved quality of life in the group that received active low level laser therapy. That is a pretty drastic reduction in the volume of basically edema, lymphedema. So just to summarize some stuff, both of these studies use lasers, but the first that we talked about used a laser with a wavelength in the red light range, while the second used a laser in the infrared light range. With that said, there are a number of other interesting studies done on other wavelengths of light, like yellow light, blue light, which is especially helpful for acne, killing, um, acne-causing bacteria, candida. It's even been studied for candida. But it has to be at a specific wavelength and power because if not, it can be extremely detrimental to the skin and cause skin aging. Now, we can get into that, of course, in another episode as well. But even things like green light have a lot of different um, cellular benefits slash effects, and a bunch of other other wavelengths do as well. So I think we will save some of those for another episode, but truly, lasers and LEDs have a ton of interesting therapeutic uses aside from the commonly known ATP upregulation with our common infrared red light stuff. So definitely stay tuned for those. We will certainly dive in and 
just go really deep into some of those interesting topics as well. But I think that is a perfect way to go ahead and wrap up today's episode. So if you liked this one in particular, definitely screenshot it, share it to your stories over on Instagram, tag me in it so that I can personally thank you for listening. Thank you all for tuning in and I cannot wait to see you in the next one. Bye guys. The content provided by the Synthesis of Wellness LLC via its podcast and domain is for informational purposes only and should not be used as medical advice or as a replacement for medical care. The Synthesis of Wellness podcast, synthesisofwellness.com, The Synthesis of Wellness LLC, and Chloe Porter disclaim responsibility from adverse effects resulting from using the content provided. Please seek and consult a licensed physician for your health and medical needs. Furthermore, Chloe Porter and the Synthesis of Wellness podcast are not responsible for the opinions of guests featured on the podcast.